everyone. Welcome to the Peds Doc Talk podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mona, where each week I hope to educate and inspire you in your journey through parenthood with information on your most common concerns as a parent and interviews with fellow parents and experts in the field. My hope is you leave each week feeling more educated, confident, and empowered in the decisions you make for your child. Hello and welcome to this week's episode where I am so excited to welcome Catherine Celery, who is the founder of the Conscious Parenting Revolution. She is a three times TEDx speaker who has taught thousands of parents in a conscious parenting revolution for resilient, considerate, centered, and empowered kids who know their inner voice and honor it. Thank you so much for being here today, Catherine. It's so lovely to be here today. Thank you so much. Well, tell me a little bit more about yourself and what the Conscious Parenting Revolution is all about. Sure. So um, I found through my own journey, like all of us, that I had a family of origin that, you know, at a certain level was just great. And at another level, I found it hard to stay in my own voice in the family. And even though I don't think at the time I recognized it, as I became more mature and older in my life, I was able to begin to see the ways in which I would withhold or I would fail to um, know how to stay connected to myself in the midst of a certain type of atmosphere. And it it became a journey. It became a life's journey to figure out how to, A, navigate my own inner world and integrate the family that I'd grown up in so that I could be authentic and connected to myself. And, you know, and how then, as I was beginning to raise my own children and stay responsible about my own communication and how to do that at the same time as I was raising, uh, you know, this, this incredible responsibility that is such an honor of being able to create the ecosystem to raise children to have a healthy relationship to themselves and others. Great. So this is more about, as a parent, understanding our identities, our background, our maybe insecurities, and how that can impact our children and just being more aware of that whole picture of parenting, correct? Yeah, well put. So, you know, I talk about, you know, transgenerational belief systems that don't have considered um, relationships so that we end up just passing these beliefs on without really considering, is it true? Mm -hmm. And am I coming from a place where I've actually thought about this approach to, you know, do as you're told, because I said, so I'm the parent honor and respect all of these kinds of ideas that may not um, be healthy. Maybe what we're really looking for is children to be considerate of our needs. And do we have systems and discipline approaches that allow for them to also be considerate of themselves? Oh, this resonates so much with me because, you know, I am a new mom. I have an 11 month old and just from my own parenting journey and for, you know, being a pediatrician and talking to other new moms or even fourth, fifth time moms about their parenting journeys. It's so important that we kind of look at that as we go through this whole um, process as mothers, fathers, caregivers. Um, where can a parent start in becoming 
or being a conscious parent? Mm -hmm. You know, it's so interesting because some people are going to start their journey. And I find that the ones with new children, little, littleies, they have a certain level of, um, just deep seated desire to want to create the absolute best parenting approach. And so the new parents that come in just don't want to screw it up. You know, they want to have a foundation. They never had the manual. They haven't got a clue what they're doing and they don't know that until they have their first conflict. And those first conflicts may not really happen until year two. Um, cause the first year is, you know, or maybe as a child's moving into their second year, possibly, but, you know, pre-verbal children, it's very easy for us to see them in their pureness that whatever they're expressing is a direct relationship to an underlying unmet need. You know, I'm dirty. I need to be cleaned. I'm hungry. I need to be fed. I'm tired. I need to sleep. So simple to just be able to see the expression as the representation of something that's an underlying unmet need. So we respond in a very compassionate, loving way. Unless the mother or father is extremely tired, they're able to, I think, have just a very straightforward, ah, you're tired, let me help you out here, and I'm gonna feed you. So I think that we begin to become a conscious parent when we recognize where we're unconscious. And I don't think we notice that until there's conflict. And so that's why I was saying, I think sometimes it takes the the young child growing up a little bit and a little bit could really be into their, you know, second year of life. Sometimes it's around that point. You know, we hear about the terrible twos and I think, you know, I've thought about it a lot. I think what that really means is that it's the first time the little one may say no <laughs> to you. And you, you, and that's where I think the consciousness bit comes in. It's like, oh, wow. Um, now what do I do? I know for me, I have a 26 year old son and my husband and I, um, were, we were living in Hong Kong and we spent 30 years there and we both were professionals. And at that moment in time, we were like deer in headlights and we both looked at each other like, well, now what do we do? And we didn't know how to respond because all we had to draw on was our past. And we both had grown up and I'm just going to call it a typical family where it was really, you don't say no to the parent. You do as you're told, or you're not a good girl or a good boy. Um, kids that don't do as they're told are not considered respectful or good kids. So that's where I was. And my husband were like, oh my gosh, now what do we do? Because if I want to be consciously aware of reading the no as something other than a moment to discipline, how do I do that? Most people haven't got a clue. Oh, it's so true. And I'm in that group too, you know, the authoritarian sort of my way or the highway situation. And it's actually fascinating because I do know a lot of families um, sorry, a lot of parents that are in our generation right now that had similar experiences. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't, I think people listening are not alone in that feeling that they're like, yep, I definitely have some tendencies here. Mm -hmm. um, and this is what I was raised in. And so why do you think this is an important thing that we know? Why, mm -hmm. how is it that if we grew up in this sort of mentality, how can it have an effect on us or how can it have an effect maybe negatively on our children? Fundamental question is when you see behaviors that are presenting, 
are you making it about how it makes you feel? Or are you looking at the child as revealing something about what's going on for them? Mm, very important. So if the emphasis, and I'm going to say most parent, parents' emphasis is really around my experience of the child's behavior, rather than, oh, my child's trying to reveal to me that there's something going on inside of them that they're having trouble staying connected to if they do what I want them to do. This is absolutely something that I'm so passionate about because I think that's so, so common in this parenting world. And you would think after generations of kind of understanding child behavior, we'd, you know, we'd start to kind of say, you know what, why aren't more people doing it? And I find more people haven't gotten that message, haven't gotten that understanding, like you're trying to preach to the world. And, you know, I also try to as well of understanding looking at what the child's going through mm -hmm. versus what they're doing for us in that situation, that they're making me upset, that they're giving me a hard time. When in reality, the child's having a mm -hmm. hard time, whether it's processing mm -hmm. that feeling that they're feeling, um, dealing with some sort of new boundary that they're being asked to do. And it's normal for them to feel unheard or feel like, well, I need to act out because I don't know how to handle this because I've never handled it before. And it is our job to kind of come in there and be that voice of, calm and reason um, for our child. So how can we create boundaries for our children, but still allow their voice to be heard? So um, I would say that, you know, this really is kind of like, I'm going to say there's a developmental spectrum going on. And if you're talking about very young children, then the level to which it's collaborative is probably less so then as we move up in age. But I believe that the least effective problem solving happens when it's one person dictating how a problem is going to be resolved. And when there's both people involved in the conversation and the narrative, the outcome is likely to be completely different. Mm -hmm. So in that frame of the question you just asked, I'm listening for where it's collaborative. Because I think that as we move through the ages of the child and their bandwidth, we give a certain degree of choice for a very young child. You know, it's not like, you know, as much choice as you'd give an older child. And the choice has to be within a framework, which I believe is better if you've had conversations around things whether that is what time somebody goes to sleep or what kinds of foods that they're going to get access to, or, you know, some of those conversations, which are more likely to be the ones that you have with young children. And then it's going to develop into things like screen time and how much time they're going to get to have on their screens. And then it's going to be things like homework and where does homework get scheduled into the life of that child. And then it's going to be like, to what extent is everything being outer directed and to what extent does someone feel the child that they had a choice? So these are to me like the nuances that I work with parents in really the grit, you know, the, the granularity of these kinds of conversations so that we're overcoming what tends to be the reactions to a solo conversation. So when it's just one person who's directing, directing, directing all the time, the other person doesn't feel like any of it's a request. They feel like it's one demand after another. 
and that they're not even part of the equation. Like they haven't even been consulted about their feelings and needs, nor have they been um, raised in a, a system, a family culture that's actually supporting them being in touch with their feelings and needs as they arise or giving them the vocabulary to be able to articulate that. I love how you phrased it in terms of developmental age, because of course, you know, toddlers giving them two options between, do you want to wear your red shoes or your blue shoes? Do you want to, do you want mac and cheese or do you want pasta for, you know, for dinner? It's, it's important not to give open-ended questions at that age, right? Because they're toddlers. And as we get older in terms of boundaries with homework and going out with friends, you know, as they get into the teenage years and, and whatnot, it definitely evolves. I find that it's almost in some ways, a natural evolution, if a family can start to do some boundaries earlier, right? Meaning the example I give with giving toddlers two options, just by the nature of having those sort of open open boundaries in a way that I'm deciding for you what you can have, but here are your choices between the two. As you get older, when you start to get into that realm of understanding boundaries and understanding that, you know, you can have that sort of back and forth relationship, but that you are still kind of... Um, the caretaker that has to make some decisions for the family and your child's well-being, it kind of naturally can flow into this sort of, okay, I'm going to offer my child some options and, you know, hear what they are saying. If you can get into this conscious parenting mindset, right? Like if you are a conscious parent, you're going to always try to kind of understand your your parenting, who you are, and then also your, who your child is so that they can be in tune with themselves. Um, how can we allow a child to stay in tune with who they are and listen to their inner voice um, as we also are parenting and, you know, again, trying to be that sort of open, but understanding that we have to set some rules for the family. So, I mean, there are a couple of things that you, you've brought up, which I think I would approach from a, a few angles. One of them is when you talk about setting rules for the family, um, I would say Again, you know, on the spectrum of developmentally appropriate, the level to which I dictate the rules versus we sit down together to talk about what works for all of us in the family are completely different conversations. So if you're doing the authoritarian, you're basically back to solo directives as opposed to collaborative um, conversations around the whole spectrum of what you want to talk about in this family. So if it's a, no, you know, in our family, everybody does chores and you young man, young lady are going to do your fair share. Like that's a whole nother conversation that I'm going to say, isn't going to end well, isn't going to end well. And on the other hand, sitting down, in a family meeting and sharing, you know, from a place of, you know, here's what happens in this family that makes it work. And, you know, I would love for all of us to choose some of the things that we'd like to support in the family to make it work well for all of us. You know, what would you like to do? You know, here are the things that I'd like to do. I, I really like, I like it when it's really clean and I love to vacuum, you know, so I'd like to choose vacuuming. But if there's somebody else who really loves that too, we could share days. You know, that's a whole different conversation. And it creates a sense of team as opposed to because I said so. In our family, this is what we do. I mean, when we start to get into that kind of rule setting, I would say it's unlikely to work out in the long run in a way in which everybody's participating because they chose to. 
And every time someone participates in a way in which they didn't choose, the person who created the culture for them to feel like they had to is going to pay for that. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Mm, That's a very good point. How early do you think a family can start to do that? Well, I like to encourage it even pre-verbal. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I've noticed with the families that I support that when child number two comes along, child number one usually feels something. Mm. They feel something. And it could be a range of mommy doesn't love me as much, or I'm not as important, or something that is disruptive to that little person's heart and soul. I've just noticed it so many times over the years. And that then can manifest in socially unacceptable behaviors, like maybe hitting the little brother or little sister and doing things that are really triggering for the parent if they're seen through the eyes of inappropriate bad behavior. So when we break our habit of judging behaviors as good, bad, right, wrong, and we see all behaviors as the manifestation of an unmet need, it's a choice. I choose to teach people to look at behavior that way because I think it's the most accurate reflection of what you're looking at. It may not be socially acceptable. It may be a behavior that is hurtful to another person. It's something that requires intervention. And then the success of the intervention will be based on the story you're telling yourself. So if you're telling yourself the story of that was wrong or that was bad, now you go to your room, then we're back in the world of rewards and punishments and disciplining according to, I'm going to teach you right from wrong based on um, what I'm going to do to you. 
And you'll learn it that way because you'll learn if you don't want to go to your room again and be isolated from the rest of the family, then you're just not going to do that behavior again. Well, that may work. You may get changes in behavior, but not for the reasons you wanted. They're doing it because now they're feeling afraid of you or afraid of the withdrawal of your love. And instead, this is a child who was already suffering from feeling that they didn't matter as much. And so it's compounded the problem. On the outer side, you may not see that manifesting again and think, oh, I sorted that out. But actually, you didn't. You changed a behavior without addressing what the pain was behind the behavior. Right. It's almost like it's a quick fix versus a sort of, okay, well, that seemed to work, but this is not something that's going to be sustainable. And I think you also had mentioned, um, you know, before we um, recorded, I saw on your website also, that this is something that we want to do in terms of being aware of our children's emotions to create self-esteem in the child as well, right? Meaning having them understand that we are a team effort here, that we have a two-way street and that your emotions matter and that I want you to have a kind of growth mindset, but also self-esteem and who you are. What are some other things that a parent can do and look inside themselves maybe to kind of see, well, this may be affecting my child's self-esteem. Um, where can a parent start in understanding how they can impact their child's self-esteem in a positive or negative way? Well, most parents... Um have been taught and probably experienced through their upbringing themselves that the way to, I think there's a belief out there that the way that you support children feeling good about themselves is to praise them. When we know from the research, if there's any way that's guaranteed to lower children's self-esteem, it's to praise them. Mm. So if you want to lower a child's self-esteem, praise them. And praise is based on you know, if you achieve my expectations, I'm going to tell you how proud I am of you. And if you don't, ex you know, act in a certain way that meets my expectations, I'm not proud of you. So it's all about me, um, which is, of course, got nothing to do with a child and how they feel about themselves. So one of the first things I begin to work with people in my, you know, parenting communities that I coach is to just learn how to do this language of acknowledgement instead of the language of praise. So that a child begins mm -hmm. to sense into how they feel about it, as opposed to how other people feel about them. So when you're in the world of what other people think of me, it's called socially prescribed perfectionism. And it's all about what other people think of me. What will the neighbors think? What did the teacher think? What does this person think? What does that person think? And before you know it, you sense into what other people think of you. And on that basis, you feel good or bad about yourself, which is completely different from self-referenced which is, I think I did really well and I feel good about it. I worked really hard. I wish I could have gotten better on the test, but I did. I really did do a good job. And I know where I failed and I know where I need to work and I'm going to do that. And it's not that I disappointed someone else or made them proud. It's that I sensed into my own sense of, yeah, I can see how I needed to spend more time on this. You know, sometimes it's hard to know where to put the emphasis and I can still feel good about myself. You know, we have complicated self-worth issues mm -hmm. because of interjecting competence as being the, the key reason for whether someone can feel worthy or not. So if we can de-link someone's competence from whether they're worthy, then we begin to have two separate conversations. I am worthy of love and belonging no matter what. 
and it has nothing to do with my grades. Right. But delinking competence from worth in most families, this is a narrative that I don't hear. It's when they don't do well, they're made to feel bad about themselves or they've been disappointing mom and dad. And um, it really is a sense of children are, a lot of families, children are a reflection of the parents. And so if the child is failing or embarrassing the parent, then the child is made to feel badly about themselves. Yeah, I see this all the time. I see it all the time. And it's, it's, it's hard to watch because it does feel like there are ways to kind of help that family. And again, I'm so grateful that we're having this conversation because I think this will help so many in the, you know, understanding of how we parent and what we are bringing to the table, obviously is so important for our children's um, mindset. And I love what you said about, you know, focusing on the process, right? You said bringing that child to the table and acknowledging the, the example you gave with the grades, right? Acknowledging where they may, may have done well and also may, where they could have done better, right? Did they not spend enough time? Maybe they could have done it in a different way versus the end result. Do you recommend doing that when a, when a child does succeed? Well, you know, first of all, when a child does well and we want to acknowledge that, acknowledgement is not the same as praise. So instead of I'm so proud of you, it's congratulations. How did you feel about that? So it really is just saying, congratulations, I see you worked really hard on that. It seems like you feel really chuffed with yourself. I, I really want to, you know, just acknowledge that um, I see how, um, how well you've done. And I really just want to say congratulations for your hard work. At which point the child stays connected to the pure joy that comes from having worked on something and succeeded because when you've worked on anything and done well, you already know within yourself, there's just a certain level of um, joy that comes with that. And we want people to stay connected to their internal sense of, oh, God, I feel so good about myself. I, you know, that was tough stuff. And I really dedicated myself to it and I feel good. When it becomes about you embarrassed me or, oh my God, I can't believe you didn't work harder or how could you do that? You'll never get into XYZ school, blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden it's very confusing to the child. Like, well, hold on a minute. You know, is this my journey? Is this your journey? Whose journey is this? I've had over the years, three concert pianists in my course and each and every one of them will not touch a piano. And, um, you know, that gives me a lot of pain as I looked at these women who were so accomplished. And one of them said to me, um, yeah, my mother stole my gift. She created an emotional environment in which it was so painful for me that even though I am a concert pianist, I reached the pinnacle of my career. I don't ever want to touch a piano. There is so much pain connected to that piano that I just don't even know how to integrate it in my life anymore. And they've all turned away from it. So this is where, you know, like you win the battle and lose the war. Like you got this child to do it. I had a course running um, years ago in Hong Kong where at one location I had the mother. And at another location I had the daughter who just dropped out of Princeton for the third time. And, and she couldn't figure, the mom couldn't figure out what she'd done wrong. Because, of course, by all Asian parent standards, She'd done everything she was supposed to do to get that child into the coveted Ivy League school. And that child had been so managed and so taught to do as she was told. 
and to reach other people's expectations that by the time she got there, she didn't know who she was. And she couldn't stay there because she didn't have the inner resources because never had it been about her. And so it's one of those where it's like, you know, we need to get really clear about we aren't creating children to make us proud. That's not our job. Our job is to recognize that children have their little inner drummer. And that inner drummer is the most important thing that they stay connected to. And we can be, you know, tilling the soil and creating the environment in which that that precious being can thrive. And our job is to till the soil so that we are always creating, you know, the best fertilization and the best resources so that the field is good and it's clean and it gives soil for something to happen. But what happens is completely from within the child. And there's trust there that we can guide. And, you know, that's why I call it a guidance approach to parenting. It's a very big difference between trusting a child has within them their dream. And how can we support that dream turning into a reality? so that they can stay connected to, if it is that they love the piano, it, it continues to be about their love of the piano, not what we want to do with it. I have a client right now who was talking to me about their child who'd been enrolled, actually given a coveted spot in one of the performing arts schools. Um, and some things have not really gone very well. And I had a conversation with the son recently and he just said, it's not my dream. It was like, oh, okay, I see. So now this is about doing it for someone else. And and that's never going to work out. Oh, and I think this is actually this culture that you're describing, right? This is actually something that, again, we talked about at the beginning of this episode, that you felt you were parented that way. I also felt I was parented that way. And I see my generation, again, parenting this way. And I think it's actually getting worse because of social media and because of the comparison game that people play that I need to do this for me and not my child, right? Like you said it beautifully with the whole... I'm proud, right? Like I, you did this and I'm proud. It makes the parent, it puts the, it puts the reward on the parent and not on the child in a way, right? Like it, it puts it that this is great because I'm happy about it. I'm happy. So that might, that means it's a success when, like you said, with the concert pianist, maybe mom, their moms were proud, but what about the child? Were they proud of their work ethic? Were they proud of what happened? What, you know, like you said, what could they have worked on? And it's such an important concept and I see it happen so much. I actually see myself trying to stop that too. Like even, it sounds so silly. Like even when Ryan is trying to walk, my son's name is Ryan and he's an, he's an 11 month old. And I noticed that I was getting, I was myself getting frustrated when he wasn't doing what I wanted him to do. Meaning I knew he could walk because he showed me five days ago that he could. And then he would, he would go to the ground and I would like, I'd be like okay, stand back up, stand back up. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, why, am I, why am I trying to rush this? Like he's going to walk. Like I should be mm -hmm. happy with the process. And you, you say it beautifully because I, I checked myself and I even said to my husband, I'm like, why am I getting upset at this? Like, it's obviously something that's going to happen. And I'm literally putting a unheard of. And why am I putting this expectation that he needs to walk? Like he's going to walk, like he's showing mm -hmm. me signs as a pediatrician that he's going to walk. And it's so, it's such an, a little example. And the reason I'm bringing it up right now is because, you know, I know we're talking a lot about 
um, you know, you're giving examples of these older children who are, you know, doing things like um, piano or instruments, but it really does go downstream. Like you mentioned, it's from the moments that we see our child start to walk or even when they're eating. And, you know, I'll Mm -hmm. say like, oh, Ryan, you ate so much, you you ate so much today, but that's, Mm -hmm. what what is the purpose of that? You know, there, there Mm -hmm. are so much little nuances in how we approach success and what are we defining and labeling as success, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, for our children, you know, because even from a young age, they're listening. And even if they're not listening, we are, we are obviously saying it and we're creating this sort of perception and sort of reality that what are we valuing as success, quote unquote, for my child? Is it that they're doing this and they're reaching this milestone? And I find in my parenting generation, the things that parents are looking at success are what are, you know, what we all have experienced, but it's to a a maximum. It's my child has to meet this milestone. They have to eat well. They have to sleep well. They have to be well-behaved. They have to do so many different activities. And it's wearing it's wearing the parents out and it's wearing children out, right? They don't want to be overstretched. 10 different activities and that my mom values that I'm a great this and that when maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe I don't find value in that. And this is such an important conversation. And obviously you're such a gift to the world um, to be able to help parents understand this. What else can we do in terms of a family system to encourage children to stay connected to their inner voice? How can we develop that family system. I think you mentioned earlier about, you know, having that sort of conversations about chores, right? Well, what do you want to do? What is something that you would find, you know, joy in and to be a part of the family? What are other ways that we can create the system to encourage children to um, listen to their inner voice? Yeah. So, you know, this idea of acknowledgement and checking back in with children, when a child runs to you and is already learned that your happiness around what they're doing is contingent upon them doing what you want, Mm -hmm. right? If that's already been established, then you may have to have a conversation, a very explicit conversation with your child that says, I noticed that you're really concerned with how I feel. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, and now I'd really like to get in touch with what you're feeling. Mm, That's great. So, you know, maybe you could tell me more about what you're feeling and what you're needing. And that um, can help us so that our conversations are not just me and how I feel, but also you staying really connected to what's going on for you around this. So you're giving your children explicit permission to say no to you. And, you know, I remember my daughter when she was six years old, she would say to me, mom, I don't want to do what you tell me to do and feel like I'm losing. And I don't want to just do what I'm doing and feel like you think you lost. Mm. But what are we going to do? Because the paradigm is set up now that somebody wins and somebody loses. It really is not that, you know, everybody's able to meet their needs. And so this is the fresh conversation. You know, when you were speaking earlier about just your awareness of, God, why am, you know, why am I so fixated on Ryan walking? (laughs) I would say, well, you're a conscious parent. So a conscious parent is consciously aware that there's something in them that is really worried about this. Mm -hmm. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. 
I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. And so this is the sense of awareness and consciousness that I love to bring to parents is that you can begin to no longer be identified or just let that part of you run your show. So if you weren't consciously aware and there wasn't some space between you and this part of you that's worried about it or concerned or wanting it, then you wouldn't have the distance internally to have the inner dialogue where you can be with that part of you, even interested in it, curious about it, which is what I heard you say. It's like, God, I'm even curious where this is coming from. You were even saying out loud, like, where is this coming from? So that's really healthy to me is where we have that awareness of, you know, gosh, why do I care so much about this? And that's usually going to generate a really interesting, like inner dialogue. There's probably a really big story about why that's something that you care about. Oh, I know why it is. I can tell you if you want, but I absolutely know. Yeah. And it is. And it's, yeah. Like, so, I mean, uh, this is the first time we're meeting, but Ryan had a stroke when he was born. Mm. And one of the first things I told my, um, my, I'm a pediatrician, obviously. So one, one of the first things I told my fellow pediatricians that were taking care of him in the, in the ICU when I found out he was diagnosed with the infant stroke was, please, God, tell me he's going to walk one day. Aww. And I told them that. And it's something. And actually, that's that's so interesting that you said that because I know I, I know that's why I'm I'm putting pressure Aww. on him to walk when. It's, I know he's meeting milestones, right? But it's that sort of comment that I go back to when he was born, when I was crying in tears saying, well, I just want him to walk one day. Please tell me, God, like I, I want him to walk because you just don't know the outcomes with infant stroke. Um, and so right. it was that, it was that. And so when, I, when I'm putting pressure and I'm not like forcing him to, but no. I, I, in some ways I'm like, just I'm practicing and I'm doing it and I'm just standing at him when he falls to the ground, there's a, uh, there's a moment of disappointment. And it's not, he's obviously doing great. It's me, like, why am I so upset that he's not walking at X amount of time? And so that's where it comes from. It's coming from that, I want it so bad because it was from what happened from, you know, early on in his story that it's this sort of, for me, 
And again, it's for me. It's not for him. He's doing fine. He will not remember the stroke. He will not remember any of this. Well, now that I know your story, I would say, well, it's a very different thing than what I was talking about. I mean, it's almost as though this is a trauma response, you know? And so I would say, oh, wow, I completely understand. For you, this is a milestone that shows you that he truly has transcended that early um, obstacle to his thriving and well-being. It's one of those milestones where, you know, when that happens, you are going to shout it from a mountaintop. Like this is like my son has truly shown that 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 obstacle that happened early in his life is not by any stretch of the imagination going to get in the way. But you know what it is, and I'm getting I'm getting a little emotional. You saying that because I kind of feel very hurt, and it, it is that. But it's also that that like again, me being a conscious parent, understanding that I don't want to put that pressure on him for the rest of his life, right? Meaning yeah. the fact that I know he had the stroke, I I am aware of the fact that with every milestone, right? There's so much that's going to happen from now till he's an adult that it's going to be this sort of me checking myself and saying. Am I putting this pressure that he needs to write, that he needs to be um, speaking, that he needs to be doing this because of what happened, you know? And I don't want that for him because I don't want him to feel like, whoa, especially when he becomes more aware of me, right? Like more aware, like in the, you know, older toddler years in school age, I don't want to put that pressure on him because of what happened to him when he was an infant. And even though he's, you know, he resolves or fights this obstacle. So I love speaking to you about conscious parenting because I think with understanding and with reflecting, it'll help me kind of be in that place of welcoming his successes, welcoming his failures and kind of being there with him through all of it, you know? And I, I think this is so important. Yeah. Well, you know, whenever someone's had this miracle, right. And every one of the moms and dads listening out there has had this miracle of bringing in a precious life. And what we do with this next you know, time together with our child is going to be um, the best years of our lives. And I think about a lot of the people who end up coming to my course, there have been breakdowns in the relationships, the resentment flows are already well established, the child has fired mom or dad and doesn't speak to them anymore, or speaks to them, but not in that deeply connected, like, intimate way, where you know that we are together on this wild ride, you know, of this lifetime. And I, in a coaching call recently, I said to the family I was working with, you know, my kids are older and I, I want to be sure, like I have a 21 year old daughter and she's got a boyfriend (laughs) and she's got best friends and she's got so many people that, that she could call. Um, I want to stay, I, I want to stay in the top like two or three. Yeah. I want to be there. I still want to be chosen. So what ways can I be as we're growing up with these precious souls that we get to steward their path? What way can I be with them so that they always know that I will be honest and authentic, but I will never use my power over you? I will guide you. I will speak to you. I will be respectful. I will treat you like my teacher. And every time I bring that to my parenting conversations and I coach the parents in in this spirit, then I can assure you 
there is so much mutual respect and love that parents are seen as the wise, trusted advisor. If they don't get fired because they use their power over and they manipulated and controlled through the use of praise, rewards, or punishments, if they don't go down that road, they won't get fired. If they don't use their power, they will gain influence. They will continue to be the orchestra conductors in their children's lives, and the child will continue to stay connected to themselves, and they will know themselves better than anyone, unless we get in the way of that. And if a child feels that their love from you is somehow going to be in jeopardy if they don't be obedient and compliant, some children will choose to disconnect from themselves in order to please you. Mm. And that will cost you in the end your relationship with them because eventually there will be so much resentment toward you for having put them in an untenable position of having to make that choice. Or you'll find the autonomous child will very early on just say, forget it, I won't do it, make me. And then you're into this terrible spiral of power and control and resistance. This is so important. And I'm so grateful for this conversation. You've given me and my listeners such great, important, thought-provoking things that we are going to go home with, right? Things that we really need to think about as parents, whether we're in, in it right now, whether we're going to be parents or maybe if we're going to have, you know, a second child or third child or whatever it may be, what would be your message to everyone listening today? Um, I think that, you know, one of the messages is when you're in the midst of any conversation and it's not beginning to feel life-giving, to reconnect and let reconnection and connection drive interactions. So if we let our judgments drive, then we tend to create and culture a family of disconnection. And if you see behaviors that upset you, then it is for you an opportunity to get connected to, well, what about this is upsetting? You know, I find that there are some like key things that are so important because we might've grown up in family cultures where we were made to believe that we could cause someone to feel a certain way. And I mean, most of us have grown up with mothers and fathers saying, you know, how could you do that? You know, I, I feel this way. And it's, it's as though they're saying the reason they feel this way is because of something I did. And inexplicably, before you know it, a child begins to feel like if they behave this way, mom or dad feels good if they behave that way, mom or dad feels bad and that it has to do with them. And so if you have grown up in a culture of blaming other people for how you feel and really been, I don't know, like like convinced that other people make you feel, then you will be creating a culture where you're teaching your children that other people are responsible for how they feel. And all of that is so... Um, so toxic and lacking in so much accountability that people are not responsible for their feelings and able to connect how they're feeling to what they need. So this is like, like it's a huge conversation about noticing I have feelings, noticing when I want to blame the catalyst for how I feel so that they will 
change, I get to feel better. It's like, we have to delink all of that. And it's such a big delinking. It's such a big cleanup effort in families where people are made to feel like they made other people feel certain ways. So you've already started to notice it just with one little thing like walking, feelings arise Mm -hmm. within you. And so you, as a conscious parent, were able to connect it to and know exactly what the story was behind that. So that is very healthy. You know that it was a catalyst, but not the cause of how you feel. So that just one tiny example is such a beautiful like takeaway for everybody on this podcast today is to go, well, where am I doing that? Yeah. Where is something in my world, my outer world, catalyzing an internal experience for me that I think is linked to that external thing when actually there's a catalyst, but not a cause? And how do I stay connected to myself so that I can unpack it? So, you know, it's the world of separation and individuation. It's this one stage that's so precious and important And when children are made to feel that they can't separate and individuate, and if they do, they disappoint you, then you've created a really toxic environment for that child. And they're having to choose between how do I stay connected to myself and not make mom or dad upset with me? Well, you have absolutely empowered me, and I am so grateful for us to be able to connect on this episode today. Catherine Celery, thank you so much for joining me today. And where can people find you? You know, your website, I know you mentioned a a few times that you have some courses. Where can people get more information about that? Yeah, fantastic. So ConsciousParentingRevolution.com is the website. And I have a 90-day parenting reset, which people can join anytime um, because it's a rolling admission. And I'm, you know, I've got gazillion um, courses that you will have access to. And that is all pre-recorded. but I then coach every week, twice, um, twice a week. And I get on with everybody who's in the community and support as they integrate what they're learning, because of course it's in the integration that the mastery comes. Absolutely. And I'm going to do my work in terms of delinking. I love that word. I'm, I think it's such a great kind of mindset to say, okay, what, what can I, what do I need to delink in terms of my, my parenting? And this is such a great conversation. So thank you again. And I'm going to attach uh, Catherine's uh, website uh, to my show notes so that you can easily access it there. And once again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Mona. This has been fabulous. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. As always, please leave a review, share it with a friend, comment on my social media. And if you're not already, follow me at PedsDocTalk on Instagram. Love doing this for all of you. Have a great rest of your week. Take care. Talk to you soon. Are you tired of searching Google and ending up in a rabbit hole at 2 a.m. thinking that you're ruining your kid? Stop and visit pedsdoctalk.com. My website is your new Google with a search feature to search all content that I have that is free or available by purchase. And let me tell you, there are a lot of free goodies there, like free printable PDFs for how to handle a choking incident to milestones to monitor in your kid. My website provides information regarding the health and development of your child, including parenting and sleep. My goal is that you stop those middle-of-the-night searches that lead you nowhere but into the land of anxiety. My goal is to guide you to be the confident and calm parent I know that you are. 
make sure to visit pedsdoctalk.com and use the magnifying glass to search. Want even more? Make sure to sign up for our newsletter by visiting pedsdoctalk.com slash newsletter, where you can get the latest and greatest in child health news and parenting tips delivered directly to your inbox. That's pedsdoctalk.com slash newsletter.